0: This is Post Studio Visit, a podcast coming to you from a closet in the back of the Orr Gallery of Vancouver, and I'm Jonah Gray. In each episode, I interview an artist, writer, curator, or critic in the place where they work. Today's episode has been an absurdly long time in the making. Carmen Papalia, my guest, was actually the first artist I interviewed for this series. Due to a long list of screw-ups on my behalf, including taping over a portion of one of our sessions which I didn't even know was possible on a digital recorder. It took three meetings to get a workable recording. Throughout it all, Carmen was most gracious and accommodating, and I admit that I secretly enjoyed the opportunity afforded by my recording mishaps to speak at length with him about his incredibly rich body of work. Papalia took a bachelor's from Simon Fraser University in Vancouver before moving south to study toward an MFA from Portland State University. His projects have been featured internationally at such institutions as the Whitney, MoMA, and the Victoria and Albert Museum. Our initial meeting took place in the back of Gallery Gachet during the run of an exhibition he curated there, but the conversation you'll hear today took place in between shows at the Or Gallery. Once we settled in, I asked him to bring us up to speed on his current projects.
1: Well... So I, I'm just I'm kind of in this like writing period right now where I'm reflecting on the work that I did last year, and I'm writing this chapter for this book that's coming out um, about contemporary art and disability and the various, you know, ways that. Um, you know, disability is being addressed or engaged in like the art context. So I'm kind of focusing on the work that I did last year when I was in residence at the Victorian Albert Museum and at the um, Model Contemporary Art Centre in Sligo, Ireland. And then the um, work I did in Vancouver uh, through Gallery Gachet, um, which was a collaborative uh, collective accessibility auditing project where I uh, with a group of of six participants who are basically friends who I know through various communities in Vancouver um, I I worked with these six people and we conducted this collective accessibility audit of the Vancouver Art Gallery and we did this um, show at Gallery Gachet we made a show based on that experience um, really as like a collective statement or declaration about um, access to contemporary art platforms in Vancouver um, so right now what I'm doing is, is I'm, I'm writing about all that and I'm, I'm kind of like thinking through it uh, but also you know gesturing forwards as well, and um, I'm developing this workshop, actually, uh, based on the auditing project, um, where I'm trying to figure out, like, because with the, the accessibility audit, I ended up spending a good three months with the group, where we were really just starting from scratch and, you know, establishing, you know, terms in common language, because uh, really the goal was how do we, you know, develop a methodology or a new methodology for ass- assessing the conditions of access um, in, you know, a, in a certain context, whether that's, like, institutional or public. Um, um, and so we... I'm Now I'm trying to figure out, like, how do I bring that kind of Experience or those ideas to a group that I'm not able to spend three months with. So, like, you know, that the the person that I could, the group that I could meet with and and maybe spend a few days with uh, at at a gallery or through a gallery or a museum um, visit. So I'm developing this workshop right now, and and the first iteration of of it will be. Um, will happen at in New York in the spring as part of this show It's happening at the 8th Floor Gallery um, and the, the show's called In the Power of Your Care and it's being curated by Sarah Reisman who used to run the Percent for Art program in New York City um, so I've been invited to present work as part of this show and also conduct the workshop as part of this, this show as well um, and then i'm taking the workshop to other places as well um i'm i'm conducting it at the maryland institute for contemporary art and the um and the ottawa art gallery as well so i'm really trying to think like how how do i kind of you know st- Share these kind of like really in-depth like ideas about access um, and and power dynamics and and social space um, to to a group of people who may not have had like a lot lot, lot of like time thinking about those things Um, and really I mean there's this experience that I had in the fall when I was conducting this this conference Um, I called it a convergence um, around ideas of like open models for access so and this was a program that ran alongside the exhibition about the accessibility audit at Gallery Gachet and um, I started this it was a three-day kind of like gathering of, of folks who are working through ideas around accessibility, but like from various perspectives. So it was, you know, some people who identified as disabled, but some who didn't and who are working through, you know, their own agency and advocacy, um, you know, from maybe the perspective of in, indigeneity or, um, or even like from a youth perspective or, uh, from queer perspective. So it was really like an intersection of like so many different practices and perspectives. Um, and I really wanted to like make this intentional effort to like separate conversations around accessibility from, you know, this association with, um, With communities of people with, you know, atypical bodies and and minds. So, like, you know, there are groups of people who identify themselves as disabled, and conversations about accessibility tend to really, like, that's what we tend to think about when we think about the word accessibility. Or we hear the word accessibility is disabled folks, Um, and and I think there has, you know, I really wanted with the conference um, to to like separate this conversation about accessibility from the disability community in, in a way, um, you know, not completely, but really understanding that when we talk about accessibility, we're talking about, like, holding agency. Um, and, you know, what, what, what does a certain context, what experience does it allow us? Uh, and what, you know, experience is it? it kind of denying us as well so, so really when you boil it down a conversation about accessibility you know has a lot to do with everybody not just like a community of disabled folks but it, you know, it really has to do with anybody who is continuously you know advocating for the, their agency um, and that turns out to be a lot a lot of people (laughs) so so. (laughs) yeah so so yeah that's kind of where i'm starting that's like um with this workshop introducing ideas like that to folks and and really sharing with them this position statement that i wrote as well in the fall um and and it it's this position statement that that just tries to define what i've been calling open access which is like kind of like something that is different than a policy-based approach to accessibility where, you know, this old kind of model where like a set of policies will de- determine like a certain experience or define a certain experience for a group of people with particular needs. Um, open access, on the you know other hand, is just the set of tenants that could result in a good exchange, like a positive exchange between, you know, two people or, or you know, a group of people. Um, and it's things, it's just considerations like, you know, who is present, what are their needs, um, and how might they find Support within their communities and and with each other, um, and you know acknowledging that if we are in a support based exchange with each other, um, that it should be a mutual exchange, and it shouldn 't just be one sided like you know for example, like when I seek support for whatever it is i 'm usually like thought of you know thought of being thought of. As like the the recipient of that support not, not i'm usually the person receiving support isn't thought of as as having anything to offer to that exchange, but you know if we're trying to build really like good um, positive support based relationships um, with people um, kind of have to start from like you know a place of of mutual exchange, so that's kind of like these are the ideas that I'm trying to share through the the um, position statement for open access, and and this was this played into the uh, collective accessibility audit quite a bit um, in the fall, where it was really like this guiding text for for us in the group. Um, I introduced it early on in in our meetings, and it was something that we used to talk about, um, you know, talk about the museum and institutional. Uh, Power structures and, and 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 you know our own practices in relation to those things. Um, so I'm I'm incorporating ideas around open access into this workshop as well, and really having people like start declaring, you know, what their needs are, and you know, in order for them to thrive, what do they need? What do they need access to? Because you know, we all have particular ways of learning and you know relating to our our surroundings and we all have particular ways of making relationships with others Um, but we don't usually like we don't talk about the very particular ways that we need to be in order to thrive so I, I think and this is a conversation that I think needs to start happening more and more I think people are in general like uncomfortable sharing those kinds of things like we don't have like really open conversations about you know what we need uh, because you know we don't really want to bother each other but I think it's just like the beginning of making a um, a really kind of like open like sincere relationship with with people and I think that when you're thinking about like a context like the museum or another institutional uh, you know uh, context like a school, even um, uh, you know these these kinds of relationship dynamics need to be investigated a bit, and like it, we almost have to start from the ground up each time we're organizing for any reason, um, because you know the, the institutional structure is really at odds with that um, that mobility. I think that 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 folks. Um, need to have in, in terms, in order to thrive. So I think, I think really, you know, I, I am choosing to conduct this workshop in places where I, you know, I could be meeting folks who, who hold positions in institutions and, you know, through the eighth floor gallery in New York that I'm, you know, conducting the workshop for, uh, know through for this show um, I will be working with you know folks who work in public institutions and you know perhaps who work through work in um, for the city as well Um, and really people who are you know occupying a public platform and who you know because I guess in my interest in that and, and, and meeting with these sorts of people is that you know they really are you know in my opinion like holding space for the community. Like, if you're occupying a pu- public platform, you're, you're working, you know, if it's, if, you're, if you're going to call it a public platform or a public institution, that it has to be representative of the public and, like, living communities. So,
0: And do you, I'm curious, when you conduct a workshop like that or mm-hmm. in the, you know, as you're about to, do you begin that then um, by... Asking questions is that how you is that how you would you would start to approach that or is that how do you do that?
1: Well, I've been thinking about like how do you bring everybody? How do we all start from the same place? Um, and I think making everybody like uncomfortable at the outset like is probably that's how I kind of approach things most of the time so it's a tricky strategy Yeah, and uh, I mean so I I lead a lot of like eyes closed walking tours I've been doing this project for a few years now and I've been lucky enough to be able to lead walks in a bunch of different cities now and basically it's an experience where people line up behind me, they link arms and they all close their eyes for the duration of a walking tour and I'll like map a r- route through a place that maybe it t- takes like about an hour to to walk um, and I'll take folks on, on an eyes closed walk and and the idea is to like really kind of have them sensitized to non-visual learning and really build, like spend time exercising those you know the, those skills. Um, you know using their non-visual senses. You know as a way of interpreting the the place and uh, connecting with their surroundings. And that's essentially how I'm going to be starting each workshop: is to to map a route in the place that I'm leading the workshop, and um, and take folks on about a half an hour to 45 minute walk. And and so everybody's. Starting from a place of being disoriented and and you all, we all have to kind of find that our you know orient, orient ourselves together um, and i 've done you know prototype this workshop in a couple different places like ver- versions of it not quite fully realized um, and I've started with walking tours in the past I, I led a similar workshop at Project Grow last year in Portland as part of this um, this project called the radical imaginations gymnasium that my friends were putting on, um, friends, Travis, Neal and, um, Aaron, uh, his partner, Aaron Sherpentier. Um, and, and they invited me to lead this, like a version of this work workshop really about like, you know, exercising the radical imagination and, uh, this is how they were framing the engagement, and so I really just like centered this my my workshop around open access and and kind of like learning through the non visual senses um, and so started with this this walking tour in this neighborhood in north portland and it it ended up really being a great experience and and just because I feel like you know by by when I take people on walks i 'm I'm I'm really inviting them into a space that I feel comfortable in and I don't tend to feel comfortable in many places <laughs> and and when I can like I can lead an experience in an, in in an area or like in in a realm that's accessible to me like where I've set the terms and language and and, and all that um and I I I don't know that's just a very liberating experience I mean it's it's that kind of sounds a bit corny but it i don't know i feel, i feel like i really can do good work when i'm able to really establish a space for myself that is accessible and then bring people into that so that, that's kind of where i'm at and and in and, and and the reason for like starting with the walking tour which has been, like, a project in and of itself up until now, and, it, you know, I still think of it that way, but, you know, I'm really using it in the context of this workshop as a strategy um, to, to kind of, like, establish, um, you know, common, common language and a common mm-hmm. place to work from.
0: That reminds me of, um, and, of course, there's a through line then to, to other projects that you've done that are about... Um, being in space and sort of and operating within a space in kind of a non-visual way or using different um, different strategies for negotiating that space um, and in can you tell me a little bit about I'm I'm thinking of especially since we you touched on the museum just briefly on um, some of your projects that you've done in inside the museum negotiating a
1: museum yeah. Um... I think, yeah, and, and I guess I, I have to talk about a bunch of other stuff before I get to that, I think, and, and the really? reason Yeah, yeah, okay, cool So, I think, so the museum is very complicated I, I see a lot of potential in the museum because it's like a place that like it, it it kind of, you know, it archives, it collects cultural history although, you know, the version of cultural history that it collects is very particular to the people who Run the institution, and you know which doesn 't usually look like the living communities in the places that museums usually are, so you know folks who are usually marginalized in terms of you know um, society and culture are usually you know, their stories, their perspectives are usually marginalized within the museum. So, I, I feel like, you know, but the, you, because it is just this amazing cultural platform, um, I feel like there's a lot of benefit to being participating in that. Um, you know, I feel as an artist who is a non-visual learner um, that the museum is not for me. Like, it, it's definitely a very visual, visually centered space, and... Um, requires a lot of visual engagement by the viewer. And um, even the the, participata- the participation that doesn't, you know, invite maybe like a non-visual um, experience or, or something. Like even the uh, non-visual kind of ways that we are meant to engage with the museum or art in general are just not i mean it's it's very much a secondary consideration and and i think that you know it's not just about the what the what the objects require from the participant but it's also about like the whole way that they're being situated by the institution and you know what are the strategies that the museum is putting in place or a curator puts in place you know, and also what the artist puts in place. So, so, yeah, as a non-visual learner, I think the museum is, you know, not accessible to me. But I think that I can, you know, at least um, open up a space or establish a space for myself that is accessible. And I've been doing this in a lot of ways, working through institutions, like, for a long, long time, um... Ever since I started identifying as a di- disabled person my in- my relationship with institutions has been really difficult. You know when I ha- started seeking support as a disabled person um, you know through support organizations i you know I, I really felt positioned by the institution. I had to be a certain kind of blind or visually impaired person and there wasn't a diff, an, another option. You know, the word or the, the framing me as, a, you know, being a non-visual learner is something that I established for myself and, you know, I'm more comfortable using that language than identifying as blind or visually impaired, which have, like, other social and cultural baggage that I just don't need to... Negotiate as part of my identity um, So You know and, and and Again like you know working through institutions As a disabled person And kind of like advocating for myself And holding space and Claiming agency and um, You know It it started too when I Started using a mobility device um, I you know Initially started using a, a white cane um, where I you know could use it to feel my surroundings and kind of tap it tap things, figure out what they are, um, but I really just was uncomfortable with the it as a symbol and what it. You know what it meant and came to mean through the ways that it was applied throughout history, and and especially being connected, the fact that it's connected to this institution that has very particular ideas around, you know, the kind of person, um, you know, what disability is, where my group, you know, the group that I am part of, um, how how it is situated in a in a greater context. Um,
0: That's because it, they come from a particular. Where? What is the origin of the games?
1: it's you know it's not something I know a lot about, but it you know it is it was for visibility it was for it was for a group of people who were re- requiring assistance, given the way that things were set up at the time, so people were probably being injured <laughs> and and um getting hit by. You oh, know, oh I shouldn't be laughing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm laughing horrible, too, so it, but it's true. Uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure it was a response to a, a critical situation. Um, but you know, now it's turned into a thing where, you know, I, if I were to use a, a white cane that was, you know, the standard issue white and red cane, um, I would have like a ton of people just coming up to me. Asking me if I need help, and and sometimes not even asking, and maybe just like, you know, pulling me across the street, assuming that I might need to cross the street. And this has happened to me, what you know, when I I've I've used like a standard-issue white cane, and that's kind of why I've wanted to modify it, um, you know, uh, ever since picking it up, really. And you know, currently I'm 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 using this. Uh, this graphite cane that I took all the white and red tape off of. I like and,
0: it, it's kind of more of a stealth <laughs> cane.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's, uh, it's just this really nice like black uh, graphite color and, um, and I've replaced the handle with a wooden handle and it's just more of the, the kind of thing that I, I, I want to use to, it's, it's a tool, it's an implement that I use to feel things, it's an extension of my tactile sense and, um, and it, it's just a way of interrupting that that symbol that is very much connected to an institution, I felt like I had to make it my own in order to feel proud about being me like in public like i I had to almost you know I, I, it needed to be a creative process for me um, and and I needed to work through it and it had to be a continuous process because you know things are always changing and And, like, I couldn't just use a set of policies to, you know, that that would be my support um, perpetually, because I just didn't think that was realistic, you know. In my thinking through accessibility, even, like, I've been, you know, coming to think about new, more open and emergent models for access because I've realized that accessibility is temporary. You know, you can set the terms around your access you know in a very controlled environment, and that might work for a period of time, but you know once you're once those terms are in in flux and you know the people in the positions of support change the, your 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 access changes, and even you know i I might have like perfect access socially and physically um, in in my own apartment uh, with you know my partner but as soon as I walk outside like of of that context it's completely different it's you know I can't I can't control all those 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 dynamics um
0: and was that something then that um coming back to sorry I kind of set us off in another direction with with the canes but the um that you began that that sort of initiated some of your thinking in negotiating the museum
1: yeah, I, I, yes, definitely, and I, I think, too, I, I've, I've used the museum as a way to understand other institutional structures, and, like, my way in was through, you know, disability and, and, like, that, those support, um, based institutions, but, you know, my, my interest has gravitated towards, like, other public, public institutions, like museums, and, um, I don't know, the other, the other institutions that really... I, I think art, too. I mean, the art institution is important because it has a lot of potential to, for... I mean, people who have who are marginalized, who have a perspective to share, um, you know, I, I think that, that the value of that platform is is huge for those folks. And, and myself, too. Like, when I started making work and learning more about art in grad school you know i've only started practicing you know as an artist and doing this socially engaged work since since being in grad school really um, you know i, I my, my <laughs> i was learning more and more about art the art world and like the the idea of like sustaining one's you know well-being or or or, or assist, you know maintaining a living on on an, a career in the arts and it just seemed like the odds were against me in that respect, but also because I was a disabled person and, and like, you know, even like I was asking friends to share, you know, like, are there any, Artists who are really are, are there artists out there who are making you know a decent living as an artist and and who also identify as a disabled person um, and there was like nobody had examples for me of of, of other people doing this um, and and that was really troubling for me at the time because that 's what exactly what i what I was setting up to do right um, so I quickly like figured. Um, that if I wanted to do that and, and, and you know make a living as an artist uh, or just continue practicing, uh, I would I would have to find my way into like a mainstream uh, pl- platform, like a contemporary art platform, and not just a um, you know a, a marginal kind of a, a, a platform in a marginal space uh, so so I really did steer towards like w- wanting to figure out like you know what is the landscape out there in terms of mainstream um, art platforms and, and how do I find my way in and, and in the beginning there was a lot of like really funny proposals I think for how I will Tried to figure my way into to art and the museum and art, and art history in general. And one of one of the ideas I really wanted to I was excited about in grad school was like, well, wow, okay, well, if you know, if I want to get into the historical record and into art history, um, I, I happen to know that every object that a museum in a museum collection, you know, basically everything that happens to that object is cataloged in a in some sort of logbook um, or you know file um, archive, um, and and you know whether that artwork is shipped to. Another institution or is in a show somewhere else Or maybe someone bumps it And it was repaired uh, It's all log- cataloged um, You know, the whole history And so I, I had thought, well, okay All I have to do then is, like, you know Pretend to bump into an artwork And, <laughs> and potentially damage it And, you know, then I'd be written Into the, the historical record And so that, that was my only Like, real plan for how to get in at that point. Um, That's amazing. I like that. Though. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm still not resolved with that project idea. I still, you know, may, may pursue it, but um, I've been I've been thinking how to, how, how I, might, I might work that it into a project. But I, I, I mean, now, you know, that was when I figured that my options are very, very, very limited. And now I'm realizing that, you know, it's really about, like, you know, the framing of the conversation. Um, it's really about the framing of the conversation and if i want to you know while disability and i you know conversations about accessibility are still pretty fringe in terms of contemporary art um you know and the stat- state of things right right now um it you know i think i think conversations around social practice and um you know community engagement and the publicness of an institution like these are all things that relate to accessibility and and I just found what I was learning about in the social practice program was really rais- resonating with what I knew as a disabled person um, and, and people trying to think through like new ways to you know engage a, a, a participant or a viewer or you know in the museum perspective how to engage a public or a community like these were things that I was really thinking about like I you know and, and certain project ideas just come out of like me thinking through my own access in a real kind of day-to-day way and really wanting something different and and some of my projects come out of me just you know thinking what if and 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 it's because I think I want access to I want my access to look different and 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 to be different than 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 it currently is. And I think I've been able to find that through my art practice. And that makes
0: me think of um, a project you were describing to me last time. That's that I think is still in the works. Of, around um, um, that's around making new types of mobility devices for, that are tailored particularly to you. Can, can you-
1: yeah, yeah. So. And I, you know, kind of touched on this too, but like working through the white cane and the institution that it's connected to, um, you know, the, the positioning, the the way that the, that object positions the user, um, that's been a long process. And so, you know, early on, I, you know, I modified my cane, I took the tape off of it and, you know, I'm using this graphite cane now. Um... But I also did other experiments around the, the white cane, and, and one of them was uh, a project through the Grand Central Arts Center in Santa Ana, California, um, and, and it was one of those projects that grew out of a what-if. And the, the what-if was um, what if I could, instead of using a white cane, um, walk with a marching band that was serving as my mobility device. So I ended up telling this to... um John Spiak, who, who is the director of the Grand Central Arts Center and, and just in passing one day, and he's like okay, um, I found you know, a couple of weeks later, he's like, okay I'll f- I found three marching bands for you <laughs> <laughs> and it was almost like he was calling my bluff he's like, okay, sure, you know I, and and he really kind of made made that project happen by just saying like you know, taking that yes and approach that's like, you know, co- common in improv Improv, um, but just like kind of okay, sure, and and like, what could you do with that and and I ended up working with this high school marching band. Um, um, from the area, and working with the marching band director, and I would meet them on on Skype every so often for over the six month period leading up to the performance, and uh, just would talk about like the different aspects of my walking practices and you know um, how do I approach you know uh, walking through the city and um, what are the kind of things that I tend to bump into or and and then the band went, went away and kind of, like, associated um, those details to musical cues that would then indicate those objects for me while I was walking with them. So, you know, on the day of the performance, we just kind of had a very short um, rehearsal in the high school parking lot... Um, and then did this hour and a half long performance um, in in downtown Santa Ana, where I was just basically exploring freely while this marching band was kind of like illuminating different obstacles for me and um, it you know it was it was this great experience where and and I had no prior knowledge of the layout of the, the downtown Santa Ana prior to doing this, so it was very improvisational and really just like happening in the moment. Um, and it really got me thinking, like, yeah, I mean, that was an experience where I was completely setting the terms around my access, and it was really fun, and it was, um, I think it, was really, it really worked um, in that moment, although I w- would love to... Use a marching band more and more often. Um, I like that. There's something about,
0: you know, oh, I've been there, but I've just driven through. I like that. Oh, I've been there, but I've only seen it from the point of view of a marching band.
1: Yeah, and, you know, and there were places that I found because the marching band was my essentially mobility device. Um, You know, I was walking into buildings and restaurants and, you know, just kind of walking up and down stairs because you know, I would have musical feedback whenever I would do anything. So it it was quite exciting. Um, But that kind of investigation and that approach really led me to do this new project that I'm working on at Olin College of Engineering in Needham, uh, Massachusetts. And um, I'm working with, and I was invited to do this project by Sarah Hendren, who is this uh, pretty amazing uh, artist and designer. And um, she has this class that she runs through Olin College called Investigating Normal. And she really prescribes to this... um, and in, you know embodies this uh perspective through her practice as well but um and it's it's called like this design for one it's a design philosophy where the designer will be like really getting to know the user of the object prior to making the object so the the object can really kind of like suit the the user's very individual and subjective needs. So she, there, there's a series um, of of objects that she's making um, through this this um, kind of u- using this philosophy, designed for one. Um, and I was, you know, she asked me to be part of this 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 series. And the pro- what we're developing is um, an acoustic mobility device. Um, we really thought of like, how could we un do the cane as as an idea um you know how could we kind of just like unpack it a bit through the de- design process and the first place that my my head went was um like let's make it a loud cane you know so if i'm in public using it it'll just be amplifying every all the taps and scrapes that it makes and you know so i'll take up more space um in public and people just have to deal with that my presence um and and yeah i don't know and and that was you know part of our initial conversation um and from there they went off and like <laughs> develop, develop, generated this list of like 400 cane concepts like from a cane that you know spurts paint out out, out onto you know the ground um, to a a cane that has a mind of its own and takes me where it wants to take me instead of me having the agency to go where I want to go um, and they ended up calling that the whimsical cane and and um it was kind of like something that would, would, I would pick up if I wanted to go on an adventure. And, um, and they, and we thought through some of those cane concepts and I told, you know, the list of 400 and, um, I kind of told them what I, what I liked about the ones that I liked. And, and I, I mentioned the whimsical cane in, in art, you know, as one of the ones that I thought was an interesting concept. Um, and they ended up making more advanced prototypes of some of the ones that I had been shown interest in. And so with the whimsical cane, they ended up, um, I guess, like making this cane using like cane parts that they got, ac- they got through this manufacturer that I buy my canes from. Um, they, they made this cane with a shopping cart wheel that just kind of has a 360 rotation. Yeah. Um, and and that was controlled by a remote control, so someone would be controlling it, and it would just go, like, in circles. And so the user would hold onto this cane and just be, like... It, I mean, there's these funny videos that they've sent me of, like, one, one of the, uh, the engineers that is involved in the process, like, using the cane, while another one is, like, using a remote control and, like, spinning them all around the studio space, which is really kind of... Um, it's really funny, and, and, and the device eventually breaks at the end of the video, but, it, you know, so they went through these different, like, kind of experimental, like, um, prototyping processes and then settled on this idea of the acoustic mobility devices, the thing that they really wanted to spend time on. And um, I think it's been, like, three months now that they've been working on it, and, and they say that it will be done at the... End of June, I believe, and so what it will end up being is um a a cane well like sorry um, like a mobility device in which there's there will be a contact mic on the tip, and it'll have the ability to connect to like an amp or computer or any audio source, so it will have the ability to amplify the taps and scrapes, um, and and, you know, anything that it touches, and like instantly translate the tactile, you know, the, the texture into sound, um, but it'll also be able to, like, those sounds will be able to be ma- manipulated through, like, you know, mixing or or distortion or whatever it might be. So I, there will be the opportunity to perform with uh, you know, a sound person or a musician um, or for me to be able to perform independently as well. Um, and so that's kind of, like, something that I'm developing right now. Like, a... a, a, a prof- Presentation and demonstration of the the object, including the design process, and, and kind of a performance with the object as well. And I'll I'll be starting to present that project in in um, I think in April in, in Toronto. Um, but I I would I figure I'll, I'll maybe do a couple of dates in Vancouver just kind of to share that process and and I mean it's it's. It's a project I'm really excited about now because it just seems like a lot of fun, and um, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see w- you know what I can. It's yeah, I mean too. Like it 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 instantly. There's just like this gratification that you get when you're using it, where like you get instant feedback about like you, where the te- textures are being turned into sound, and you. I mean, just something. Exciting about having the ability to do that, <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I'm just using a very basic prototype of the the cane that was just like pieced together in a couple hours um, when I was out at Olin College, and and it was just like really enjoyable. So I, I'm excited to use something that's actually like considerately designed and intentionally designed from, for like playful use. <laughs> um, you know, and, and to see where that takes me in terms of, like, could I develop different documentation strategies through it? Or, or like, could it open up maybe, you know, the potential to map a place in, in a certain way, that, you know, based on, 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 on what, what input or, or information that device allows? Thanks for tuning
0: in. As always, please let me know if there are any artists you want to hear from or any questions you'd like me to ask. My Twitter handle is at Jonah underscore Gray. The galleries is at Orgallery. And my email is discursive at Orgallery.org.